Welcome to RevAmp, the revenue amplification podcast powered by DealHub.io. I'm your host, Gideon Thomas, and we will be speaking to some of the most exciting revenue leaders within the community. Ori, welcome to the RevAmp podcast. We are absolutely delighted to have you on board here today. And for those people at home who don't have the, uh, the pleasure of already knowing you, perhaps you can start with just sharing a little bit about yourself, who you are, your role, and a little bit about Own Backup. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Gideon. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, a little about myself. I actually uh, grew up in, in the Boston area, started my career uh, in venture capital uh, with a firm called OpenView Partners. Uh, where I spent years working with early stage technology companies, helping them build uh, scalable go-to-market teams and helping them with go-to-market strategy. Um, uh, eventually, I ended up moving to Israel. My wife is, is Israeli, so she decided we were moving, moving here from Boston. And, uh, and that was about seven years ago now. So I've been here uh, since then. Um, shortly after I moved here, I, uh, I joined uh, Own Backup uh, as part of the founding team. And Own Backup is actually uh, today the leader in SaaS data protection. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people ask me what that is, aren't, aren't really sure what that is. Um, we really started off in uh, SaaS backup and recovery um, and focused specifically on backup and recovery for Salesforce. And that's sort of a... a, a a newish problem. Uh, for many years, companies were using Salesforce and other SaaS applications, not even realizing they had a responsibility to back up and protect that data. And in addition to what Salesforce and other SaaS providers provide as part of the service. And, um, and so that was one of our, our big challenges uh, as we scaled was figuring out how to, to educate that market. And certainly putting the buyer at the center of our sales process was a huge part of, of making that happen successfully. Um, we started off just a, a handful of people today. Own Backup is uh, a global company, over 550 employees uh, with offices in Tel Aviv, London, uh, New Jersey, Paris, and Sydney, uh, and also in India. Very cool. So I, I've seen you guys, of course, from the sidelines and seen your, uh, your continued growth as a company, which has been uh, fantastic to watch. And, uh, and more specifically, what role do you, uh, do you sit in right now at Own Backup? Because I think that's really the, uh, the crux of, of why you're here as a guest. Um, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so I'm the CRO at Own Backup, uh, and I lead our entire global sales organization, uh, which includes... Uh, the direct sales team, uh, solution engineering channels, our, our alliances teams, our SDR team, uh, as well as our demand generation and sales ops functions. Um, so it's really a broad scope of, you know, dr- new customer acquisition, driving cross-sell and upsell, as well as as well as uh, pipeline generation. Um, so it's it's a good sort of broad scope across the funnel and, and sort of how we think about our customers and how our customers buy software, particularly uh, SaaS data protection. That's fantastic. And actually, I, I thought of a good segue here because I remember when we were speaking uh, prior, 
before uh, starting your own backup and making Aliyah to, to move over here, you had a little bit of time out. I think it's not obvious maybe from your LinkedIn profile, but you uh, you set some time aside to travel, right? And uh, and that ended up with you being on a boat in the middle of the uh, Pacific. What what inspired you to take that decision? What happened there? Um, so I I had always wanted to to travel, uh, and I'd always wanted to do a sort of a long sailing trip. I grew up growing up in Boston. It's sort of a maritime city in the U.S. So. Uh, did a lot of sailing while I was there. And, um, you know, when, when we sort of packed, started thinking about packing our bags and, and moving to Israel, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to just take some time off and, and go travel. So, um, you know, we thought, what, what better way to travel than, than by boat? And, uh, and ended up um, meeting a, a captain who was sailing a 40-foot catamaran from the UK to, to Bali. So we met him in the Caribbean went through the Panama Canal and, uh, and crossed all the way to uh, Tahiti. Um, you know, so it was, a, it was a really great, fulfilling uh, journey. Definitely, definitely checked one off the bucket list there. Fantastic. Yeah. I think that's the segue there is uh, on, on the theme of journey, which is, which is the pickup point right here. Today, we're going to have a look at how to create a fluid B2B buyer journey. So from, from one personal journey now to, uh, to another, so yeah, just want to really lean into your uh, your experience over these last uh, five six years at at Own Backup of of really, I imagine over that time your B two B buyer journey has become maybe more sophisticated. It's probably not what it was on day one. Um, so maybe from from kind of your leadership perspective, let's start off with your standards maybe of what does good look like in terms of B two B buyer journey. So maybe a little bit of your values and, and your vision and then and then move on from there into to how you really measure and uh, and validate that so yeah for in a b2b journey what's what does good look like from your perspective yeah so let, i you know we we've been talking about how to how we've been talking about how to build a, a b2b buyer journey the reality is you don't build a, a b2b buyer journey right okay uh, the customer has a buyer journey they have the journey that they go through when they go and buy software. It's our job as, as software sales leaders and software sales professionals to uh, create a B2B uh, sales process that maps to the buyer's journey in a way that positions our technology. Um, and I would say actually more importantly than in a way that positions our technology in a way that actually helps the customer uh, understand the problem they're trying to solve mm -hmm. and in a way that helps the customer solve the problem. Um, and those are, those are really two different things. And, and this was something I learned very early on uh, at, at OpenView because it's something I spent a great deal of time doing with our portfolio companies was helping them understand their buyers better. Um, many cases at early stage, at early stage tech companies and even at bigger tech companies, you have, uh, uh, people that are constantly changing at the company and people whose roles are changing. So if you take an early stage company, for example, typically the company starts off selling with uh, kind of founder-led sales or CEO-led sales. Right. Uh, and, and usually the founder or the CEO are somebody who understands the problem really well and they understand the buyer really well and they understand the nuances. And when they're asking questions, when they're on the phone with the buyer, they understand the nuances of the responses they're getting. 
and they know what's important to that buyer. They, they really understand it. And uh, as the company grows, you start to bring in you know, professional sales folks um, and professional sales leaders who might be very good at, at selling in general, but may not understand uh, the specific buyer for the, the company that, that they're working for now. And um, this isn't just an early stage problem because this happens as the company grows. The bigger the company gets, the more layers of management you get. And the VP of sales that you, that you may have brought in when you had uh, uh, 50 employees now is, has two or three layers of management under him and, or her. And, um, and you know those people may have been brought in from the outside. They may have been promoted in from within, but they may have been brought in from the outside. And those people also may not have a good understanding of the buyer. Now, hopefully by that point, you have really good sales enablement and you have really good sales training and you have really well-defined buyer personas and really well-defined buying process or sales process, I should say, uh, that maps to your buyer's uh, uh, journey. And that all that stuff can help um, keep the buyer's journey at the center of your sales process. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to sort of think about that. And I think one of the earliest mistakes um, that, that companies make uh, at, at many different stages is, is forgetting about the buyer when they're designing their sales process. They try maybe too hard to optimize for you know, what, what they think is going to work best for them and not think about what is going to work for the buyer and what is going to make the buyer's life easier. And what is going to help the buyer understand their problem better? And what is going to help the buyer make a better decision? And all of those things are, are super important um, as you scale a company, especially if you want to keep you know, your win rates high and you want to keep your, your uh, economics good uh, and your business efficient. So sometimes I purchase, right? But I'm going to play this out here. Often I purchase, in fact, uh, just from, from my role within marketing. And the biggest whatever setback for me as a buyer is the sales rep that I'm, you know, that I'm speaking to is their quarterly target or their end of queue. So these kind of hard fixed uh, variables, either they have a quarterly target they want to meet or they have an end of queue and they are whatever percent and they're trying to get across the finish line. These are the two biggest obstacles that I have to, uh, to overcome because then it's not about me anymore. It's not about kind of a value exchange. It's not about whatever else. It's literally about, you know, binary numbers and, and, uh, and transactional selling of discounting and pressure, pressure selling and all the rest of it. And, and it's really manufactured. It's not authentic. It's not value driven. And perhaps that sales rep, given that there is so much sales rep turnover these days, is not even an expert in their domain. So they're trying to transactionally push me through a process but not help me really solve a problem per se, apart from the one that's maybe on the script. Um, I say that because I think that's a clash of, I don't know what the word is there, aims. I have one aim, they have a different aim, and, and, time, is the, and time is the X variable. Yeah. So, so as a CRO, how do you acknowledge your buyer and the need for authenticity and, and to create value, but also you know, do justice to your role, which is also to, to reach certain targets in certain timeframes? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, to your point, as long as there are quarterly targets and, and quotas, 
um, you're going to see some of that behavior. But frankly, I, I understand I'm a buyer too, and I, I experienced the same things. Um, so I understand uh, completely the, the dissonance there. And, um, and we really do try to uh, ensure that the buyer's interests are coming first. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's, that's really important to, to, to stay authentic and to make sure that your interests are aligned. And frankly, I think buyers these days have learned to take advantage of the, the sort of end of quarter right. uh, rush to, to, to get extra discounts and stuff like that. And frankly, we try to avoid that too, but, um, but let's put that aside for a second. Right. I think that the way to, the, the real, the way to acknowledge that and, and to keep it authentic and to keep the interests aligned, because they really should be. Right. I, I really think the best salespeople are the ones who are being authentic and actually trying to help the customer solve a problem, not just cram product down their throat. Um, it is to actually do, do, do just what we've been talking about is, is keeping the, the buyer's journey at the center of the process. And so uh, uh, let me give some examples of how we do that and how we've done that at Own Backup over the years. So early on, and, and our buyer's journey, ha- our, our, our sales process has evolved, um, but early on, uh, our, our product was you know, very new. This was a really new category, and most people didn't realize they had to back up their Salesforce data. Right. Um, they just didn't. Even today, many people still don't realize it. Uh, but Salesforce, like all SaaS applications, have this thing called the shared responsibility model, where they provide an application that's hosted in the cloud, and they do backups of their environments and real-time replication and security and redundancy and all that stuff. But the uh, customer owns the data and the application has a bunch of buttons. One of those buttons is a delete button. And if the customer pushes the delete button, they expect that data to be deleted, right? Now, does, does Salesforce and do other SaaS applications back up? Yes, but they back up for their purposes, not the customer's purposes. And so... Mm-hmm. Recovering, you know, one or 10 or 10,000 records from Salesforce's backups is not, not something that's easy to do. And it's not something that's offered as part of the service. Right. And so it, it's really a measure of last resort. And that's true for Salesforce. And that's true for, for other SaaS applications too. What the, what the vendors provide out of the box is different for each SaaS application. So if you look at Dynamics or ServiceNow or Workday, you know, what they put in there in, in terms of what they give you out of the box is all slightly different, but they all have the same fundamental shared responsibility model, which is you're, you're, you, the customer, have a responsibility. You have to also keep backups of your own data in case you in, intentionally or accidentally delete a bunch of data and you want to recover that data. Right. So our first challenge early on was actually just helping educate the market, helping buyers understand that they had a problem. Mm-hmm. And so this was a lot, I mean, now I'm talking about uh, a lot of this was, was what we did in, in marketing. And a lot of this was kind of community engagement and getting involved with the Salesforce user groups and Salesforce ecosystems and talking to the MVPs who are in the weeds and who actually get this stuff, who maybe actually have deleted some data and had to call Salesforce support and figure out you know, how am I going to get this data back now and realize that that actually was their responsibility to do it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so a lot of that was stuff we did on the, on the, um, 
on the marketing side was about educating the market about the problem. It was about, hey, Mr. CIO, Mr. Salesforce architect, or Mr. Head of Salesforce platforms, like you actually have this problem. We wanna bring this to your attention um, because you may not be aware because it's not something that Salesforce or, or ServiceNow or any other apps, you know, go out and, and, and talk about very often. It's not like they're shouting, hey, you know, make sure you back up your data because we don't do it for you. Um, so somebody had to do that. And so part of our buyer's journey early on or our sales process was in, in, in qualifying a prospect was actually trying to gauge their understanding of the problem. Like before we can even talk about own backup, before we can even sell you a product, what we want to understand is how, how are you using Salesforce? Okay. Is it, is it something that, you know, you just, just started with and you're a small company and you're just managing leads and things like that, which, you know, may be super critical or may not be. Um, or is it something where you've been running on this platform for five years and it's the center of your business and all your critical businesses there? So first we want to understand that to help the, the customer sort of quantify or, or, or put a value on the, the data that they're storing in Salesforce. The second thing we want to do is, is explain to them what they actually get out of the box. Like what is your responsibility? What does Salesforce give you? Uh, and, and help them really understand their risk and let them decide, right? I'm not trying to cram software down someone's throat. I'm trying to first just explain to them, mm. you run a, a, perhaps a significant, perhaps an insignificant part of your business on this platform. You have a responsibility to protect that data. Here's what it would look like if you lost that data right. and you didn't have our solution. And, you know, and then if, if that, doesn't sound good to you, then let's talk about what your potential solutions are. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, we even go so far early on uh, as to explain to them what the potential alternatives are, not just own back. We actually educate our prospects on, well, you can, uh, you know, back up uh, exports of your data and store them in CSV files. Mm -hmm. You can do some other options. You have sandboxes. Um, <clears throat> and then we would show them also a demo of our technology. Mm -hmm. Now, at the end of the day, the buyer still has has risk in this decision. At the end of the day, you're talking to, you know, in some cases, uh, 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 let's say a, a director of IT or a VP of IT, or maybe somebody lower than that uh, in the organization. They're going to have to go to their boss and explain to them uh, that they just realized that they've been running Salesforce for a couple of years and they're storing all this critical data and they have to actually back that data up because Salesforce doesn't do it for them. Mm -hmm. That creates a lot of anxiety. Right. Buyers don't necessarily want to do that. So if you think about the buyer's journey for, for our product, for, for own backup, the, the journey starts with first realizing that this is my responsibility and I have to back it up. Second, understanding what my options are to protect it. Third, um, communicating to my leadership or whoever the decision maker is that this is a this is a thing, and we just realized it, and now we have to actually. I'm and now I, the buyer, am recommending that we spend money on this, mm -hmm. um, and then and then 
own backup or deciding which vendor is the right vendor to choose, whether it's own backup or, or someone else. Right. And so then the question becomes, when you get to that stage in the process, is how do we, the, the sellers, own backup, make that decision as low risk as possible? How do we take all the risk out of that decision? And the way we... No, you, you tickle me every time you say that because I, I, obviously I come from marketing and I'm always thinking that the, the risk of not taking that decision is equal or greater than the risk to do it. And I feel like I keep on saying that every time you make that sentence and I'm sure you aware of that too right like if they don't do it that risk is greater than if they do uh, and i'm sure there's almost even an roi calculator that the more data that they have the greater the return on that investment is like you know because that data takes you so much time and maybe it's not so easy to gather it and what would you do without it but keep going i, I cut you off but you just set me thinking that um, yeah, <laughs> well that's that's absolutely right but that's that's actually in the first part of what i talked about which is which yeah. is uh, you know, realizing that you want to invest in the solution, but but even once you realize invest in the solution, there's still risk in your decision. Like, which solution are you going to choose? How do you, right. you you've now realized you need to spend money on something you you had no idea you needed to spend money on? Right. How do you make sure you're choosing the right thing? You know, what's the right level? And that's where we we introduced the concept early on of a of a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. It's not revolutionary. Lots of companies do proofs of concept, right. but um, uh, you know, we really tried to do it make it hands-on uh, and work with the prospect and, and, and kind of work with them uh, hand in hand. And starting with um, defining what does, what does success look like? Mm -hmm. You know, in the event of a data loss, what would you want to be able to do? And not just in the event of, of a data loss, but like early on, we started talking about your data. And what, how you're using sales and what kind of data lives in there. Let's say, let's say they're using, um, let's say they're using DealHub IO for their mm -hmm. CPQ. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there's a bunch of CPQ data that lives in Salesforce. And that's really important to them. They could tell us, or, or we could come to the conclusion together. Like, let, let's just say, for example, all of your uh, price books and SKUs got deleted. How would that impact your business? Okay, let's let's actually test that scenario. So we would then, you know, set up a, a sandbox with all their CPQ data or whatever whatever critical data they want to test. Back it up, delete the data, and then go through the recovery process mm -hmm. with own backup. And then along the way, we we look at you know some other features and we talk about what's your recovery time objective, like how how fast do you need to be able to get this back, and can right. we need? To, what is your recovery point objective? How far back do you want to be able to recover? Because sometimes you didn't delete all your CPQ data, but you, somebody along the way, a uh, uh, Salesforce admin or a CPQ analyst changed, you know, the the um, uh, approval threshold or changed the price of this product from you know one dollar to two dollars. Mm -hmm. But they did it a month ago, so you have to be able to restore not just the data from yesterday, but you have to be able to restore the data from a month ago and everything that got changed along the way. Right. So that, that's another scenario we, we might test. And so we, we try to take them through all different scenarios to make it super easy for them to say, yes, this offering checks all the boxes or no, it doesn't. And we, again, we try to make that as easy as possible for them. So uh, by the time we get to that end of that POC, in their, in their buyer's journey, they've understood that they have responsibility. They've quantified the value of their data. They've uh, 
quantified the value of, of losing that data and acknowledged the fact that it's worth spending money on a solution. Mm -hmm. They've evaluated uh, a solution to ensure that it actually can meet their requirements. Mm -hmm. And now they're armed with really everything they need to, to make that financial decision. And that's exactly how we've aligned our sales process is basically step-by-step step, knowing, understanding that that really is the buyer's journey. Our process and our, our account executives are armed to, to go through it in that way and by the way, not all buyers move at the same pace. So right. sometimes you have to spend more time talking to the buyer about the problem. Sometimes you have to spend more time talking about what a customer can get out of the box. And by the way, we're using the term buyer like it's a single person. When we know that it's always more than one person, yeah. the bigger the, 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 the company is that you're selling to, the more people are involved. Right. And so we also know that that in our, in our uh, um, sales process, that this is sort of a, not just a, a linear cycle, but almost a loop that repeats itself at multiple stages throughout the process mm -hmm. where, you know, even when you've gotten through the, the part where they've acknowledged they have a problem, they quantify the value of their data and acknowledge that they probably need to spend money to solve this problem. Um, new person gets introduced to the sales, to the buying process. Right. We have to repeat that process with that person. Because a lot of times what happens is you bring, you know, you're working with the Salesforce team and they're like, holy crap, we need to solve this problem. And then somebody from the infrastructure team comes in and says, wait a minute, why do we, why are we backing up Salesforce? Mm -hmm. uh, and so you really have to go through that. And, and so that, I think that applies to, to many businesses, not just, not just our business, but it's really about thinking about how the buyer thinks about this problem, how they go about buying this problem and trying to make it as low risk and easy for them as possible to make a decision. What are, you actually mentioned or led it right, right away into one potential friction point, which is buyer committee members entering at a later stage. But generally speaking, if we zoom out, what are the potential friction points uh, that would work against you guys creating a fluid B2B buyer journey? Fluid being kind of seamless and smooth, so the opposite of that being friction that could happen along the way that you want to kind of overcome and, and iron that out. Are there any kind of key friction points that need to be overcome despite the fact that you have a pretty good uh, kind of rollout model from from the discovery, the demo and discovery into the POC and such and such? Is it still possible for it to have friction even after all of that? Or, is, or after that, the checkbooks are open and it's just a case of how much coffee you want to drink between now and then? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always always friction points. I mean, there there's friction around um, depending on the company. I mean, I, I have to say that at this point, we're we're at this point where we are in, at least in, in backup and recovery for Salesforce. Mm -hmm. We're I think we're, we've established a good brand and, and we've done enough. We've really evangelized the problem, and and, and I think we're we can call ourselves the leader in 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 this category. Right. Um, and so there is a lot less friction than there used to be. There used to be a lot of friction just around convincing people that they need to back up, uh, that they need to back up Salesforce. Um, you know, you always have some, some friction around pricing. Um, when I think, when I, contextualize, when I think about friction, I'm not always thinking about external friction. I, um, 
your company to the customer, sometimes internal friction, like, uh, I don't know, like a bottleneck end of queue with uh, margin approvals or legal ops to kind of process all of the, the contract management, like internal friction yeah. uh, mm-hmm. is as important than external friction in terms of process management, which is a big part of, you know, the CRO function. So that's, that's really where I was going with it. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the two biggest friction points there um, are, uh, are, are, were, and I think are for a lot of companies uh, around uh, information security reviews and legal. So, own backup sells to actually uh, the world's biggest companies. I mean, okay. uh, about 50% of our customers have over a thousand employees. Um, and, you know, it skews towards upper, upper thousands of employees in terms of, in terms of numbers. So we work with a lot of big companies that have a lot of really critical data, a lot of regulation, big legal teams, big compliance teams, um, a lot of security requirements. And so for us, um, fortunately, I mean, we, we, we take our work extremely seriously. And one of the most important things when it comes to backup is security. And so early on, regardless of, of the fact that this is a friction point, um, uh, we invested a lot in security. And um, I think early on as a startup, what happens is you invest a lot in something like security, but you don't always invest a lot in writing all the documentation and Sorry. creating the processes and the policies. So we had to spend a lot of work on that type of stuff to ensure that we're able to provide the, the information in the form that uh, the customers want to receive it in um, and make sure that we go through all of our, of our audits. And so today we actually have a very robust, very robust security program here at Own Backup, um, that's that covers al- almost all of our uh, information systems, especially any anything revol- involving our software development and customer customer data. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the problem is is even more particularly acute for us because we are we are storing a lot of customer data. Most right. software, uh, most software solutions uh, don't actually host customer data. Uh, or if they do, it's a, it's only a very small slice of customer data. Like perhaps in, for for DealHub, maybe it's just the the pricing data, which might be sensitive, but it's just the pricing data. Mm-hmm. We are actually taking all of the all of the data that customer stores in Salesforce. So if you think about what that could be, it's all their customers. It's PII in the healthcare industry. It's PHI in um, in in, uh, 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 in life sciences. It could also be other types of, of intellectual property that those companies consider crown jewels, super, super critical data. Right. And, and we're backing up all of that. So we have to be really way ahead of our game. And so today we have almost every security audit and, and compliance you could, you could get as a software company is, is something that we've either done or are in the process of, of going through. And we've also done a lot of work in terms of how we deliver that information, whether it's videos, uh, in videos, um, uh, pre-filled uh, uh, standard forms like C-Star and, uh, and CSA and um, uh, I forget what the other one's called, but there's, uh, there's a number of different standardized security review forms. Mm-hmm. Out there. 
Very cool. So now, it's just, if we were to kind of summarize uh, that journey, <laughs> your journey, um, as we think about the bio journey there, what's the kind of key learning or takeaway that you would give back from these last five years in terms of perhaps you might do it differently, how perhaps how you might do it better, or at least how you would prioritize the building blocks of the journey, just kind of in the most simple uh, high-level view of that possible. What's the key kind of takeaway learning as you look back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we did a lot of things right. I'm not sure there's a ton I would, I would do differently. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the key takeaway uh, uh, for, for the listeners is to always, is to always put your buyer uh, at the center of your process. Design your sales process around how your buyer buys software. Take the time to really understand your buyer personas. And when you're creating sales enablement and when you're creating a, a process, um, particularly enablement for your, for your frontline managers too, make sure that they really understand the buyer's journey. Make sure that they really understand the buyer personas. Mm -hmm. If they don't understand that stuff, that is not going to come across uh, on the phone. It's not going to come across in, in meetings between your, your sales, uh, your sales team and your buyers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, making sure that your process and your training are all designed around the buyer and how they buy software, I think is the, is the number one takeaway. That's a solid takeaway. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I, yeah, I really, uh, I just repeated that back in my head a few times there and, and I was just saying to myself, okay, so in order to understand your buyer, you need to know your buyer. So let's start with, let's, do we know the, do we know our buyer firsthand? Do we actually speak to them or do we just learn about them? And uh, I, I can definitely understand why that's profoundly important. Were you going to say something else there, Ori? I cut you off. Well, I was just going to say, it, it, it might seem obvious or, 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 perhaps not that insightful, but, but to your point, I think a lot of companies sort of skim over it and, um, and don't go deep enough and don't fully appreciate uh, what it means to do this right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a difference between reading it in a, in a PDF or a doc versus hearing them speak. Yes. <laughs> a massive, um, massive difference right there. Just straight out the gates. Yeah. Um, great, fantastic. Well, the good news is, uh, I mean, we're, we're running out of time here, but thank you for myself and, and all of the, uh, the team over here uh, with the Red Band podcast. And the good news is that you guys aren't done. You're going to continue to grow and we can continue to watch you uh, evolve and succeed, uh, you know, with, with high expectations. And I think for anybody that's been listening at home who had maybe further questions for you they can always connect with you via your linkedin profile we'll uh, we'll link to that with this podcast and uh yeah i really appreciate you giving the time taking the time to give back to us we really appreciate that yeah uh, absolutely I'll, I'll i'll say we're i'm happy to hear from from the audience we're hiring uh, in all roles and in all functions and uh so uh definitely continuing to grow and, and doing big things over here Fantastic, Corey. Well, wishing you guys tons of success. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Gideon. My pleasure. Cheers. Bye-bye.